This episode of the Zero Cafe podcast is made possible by our partners, Online Influence Institute and VWO. Today I talk with Steen Rasmussen, who is the co-founder of IH Nordic and an international keynote speaker in digital marketing and analytics. He stands out in the field because he has a much more commercial focus than you'd normally expect from an analytics nerd. And he's very much into big thinking, networking, community building. And he's absolutely not afraid to share every single thing he knows. And today we're going to talk about data activation and supercharging the customer journey with analytics data. In case you missed the previous episode, I spoke with Eden Bidani about copywriting, and you can listen to that episode on www.zero.cafe or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 15. Stein, welcome to the Zero Cafe podcast. Uh, even welcome back to the Zero Cafe podcast. We spoke to you earlier at an, uh, at an e-merge event in uh, 2019. Um, I spoke to you like three weeks ago for, for e-merge, another e-merge event, the e-merge Google Analytics user conference uh, where we did a recording. Uh, but for those of us, uh, of the listeners that don't know you yet, uh, could you introduce yourself a bit? Yeah, so uh, originally, yeah, I, well, where do I start? I've been doing analytics uh, as, as part of my core focus for a long time, right? But actually, when yeah. I go further back, I started out doing usability and moved into uh, Crow that way. So that was kind of where I started. Um, we had the idea, I started an agency 20 years ago where we wanted to say uh, we saw too many websites being made too much with the users in focus and not enough with the business. So we wanted to do something some, something different. So, so, so we started optimizing websites and we're actually doing it when we for the first time heard about conversion rates. So, so actually it, my, my optimization days go back even before there was a phrase called conversion rate, or maybe we did just didn't discover it until then. So that's kind of the, yeah, the history. We, we didn't I'm, know the term yet. No, no, actually. <laughs> so, so the, the term, and then I remember we were really uh, excited when the term came out. Like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but from that perspective, I am a data-driven person. I'm a hyper nerd when it comes to analytics. And for me, measurement is uh, part of the core. And it's also why I like uh, conversion rate optimization, because it is like measurable communication. So it is a place to, to, to understand, to see, are we communicating better or more precisely? Uh, and then work from there. So it makes yeah. a lot of things much more operational. And you mentioned in your, in your, in your bio that you stand, uh, stand out in, from the crowd uh, because you're, you're, like I said, you're an analytics nerd, but you also um, are able to make that, uh, turn it into business sense, into business communication. Um, it sounds to me that apparently uh, analytics folks are not good at that. So what's your take on that? Yeah, so I would, I would agree. The analytics folks have a tendency to focus too much on the data and not enough on what the data is supposed to do. So you're kind of like a, you're, you're the accountant that looks at the numbers but don't really necessarily work on improving them. So because you're, you're, your responsibility ends with the numbers coming in. And then you can hand them over to somebody else. There's, there's a concept I've stole from uh, Aurélie Paul, uh, which is uh, reporting as an alibi. Uh, so you give somebody the, the report and that kind of ends your uh, responsibility. And if somebody comes and say, hey, have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. I gave you the report three months ago. So, so why, yeah. why are you first coming now? So, so that's where I see analytics and then the data side actually being not commercial enough and not taking enough responsibility for creating results. 
Yeah, and it's in- incredibly hard to to give those advice and to even look at data if you don't know the business side, right? I mean, you you can. There's so much data in in many companies right now, uh, and if you don't know the business problem that you want to solve, you you also have no idea what data to take uh, to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, this idea about having the data and and actually looking at it from a business perspective, or as a result driven thing, that that is where. Uh, analytics needs to get more inspired by Crow. Uh, so, so having that objective. And it's fun because you, you will be looking at organizations and you'll be saying, yeah, but if we have a, a data department and we gather data and we do all this stuff, then we're data-driven. But in reality, very often, the analyst will not be driving the data anywhere. The, the people driving the data are the Crow people and the SAO people and the SAM people. They're really the people taking the data and doing something with it, right? So, so the other guys, the analytics guys like me, are in a lot of cases just middlemen. So handing the data over to somebody who's supposed to do something with it. And that yeah. makes it less valuable, what we do. We need to kind of, well, the analyst needs to kind of change the mentality from being an analyst to being a data-driven business developer. Well, what would your advice be for someone listening to this? Hey, that's me. I, I push those reports out. Uh, every three months, I give someone a report on bounce rate and uh, call it a day. Uh, would your advice be to like uh, better communicate with zero people or become become someone like that? Or I, th- I think the first... Uh, uh, I've been teasing with this question a, a long time, saying do a self-reflection, right? So, so uh, saying, so why did somebody hire you? Uh, and, and that goes for all specific roles in an organization. And, and the, the answer is always the same. Everybody got hired because the company saw it as a better investment than hiring somebody else. And a better investment in relation to, the, you know, to creating some results that were supporting the business. So, so, so if you reflect on that saying, okay, okay, if somebody hired me as an investment, Am I generating value for the organization? Am I being a positive investment? And to do that, you have to align saying, so what does the business need? Right? And very often that means that you as an analyst or in any other position actually have to look at what is the organization trying to achieve? So, so I think that is one of the big overlaps, starting by saying, what is my role here? What yeah. value am I supposed to be creating? Because very often it, it, we end up in a situation where saying, yeah, I am the master of the dashboard. That doesn't generate any value. That's just pushing more information. Or I am the reporting master. You can ask me, I'm the Oracle. You can ask me anything related to the website. I will answer. But that doesn't create value. That's very reactive. So how can we push a proactive agenda when it comes to data? That's suddenly yeah. where the, the value would be generated. And I guess that's good a career advice for anyone, right? Just to step back and uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. How do I create value for the company? Yeah, so, so, and, and, but but I think for analysts, it's just been we've been so focused on on getting good numbers, and that has kind of been my mission is to deliver 100% data quality. 100% data quality has no value unless it's being used for something, right? Saying okay, cool, so. I will do a million user tests on this website, but I will never tell anybody anything about it. And I will never uh, come up with any suggestions. Have I created any value? Yeah. Like, 
hiring a, a, a tool like, uh, what's it called? Uh, what's it called? Uh, one of the heat map tools. We have right? Usabilla, we have Hotjar. Yeah, exactly. So you install Hotjar on your site and you go enterprise and you buy the big version so you can track everything, but you never look at it. Have you created any value? No. Yeah. It's like it has to be, it, you have to use the data for something to create value. And that's kind of where the chair I've been sitting on, you know, standing on, basically yelling that we have to create value to justify uh, our role in the organization. So we'd rather go for 80%. Yeah, but, well, absolutely. So, so the, the key thing is going for when is it good enough? Right? When is my data good enough for action? So instead of trying to push for 99% perfection and saying if it's good enough at 85 and I can make data-driven decisions, then I should go there. Then I should just focus on maintaining the quality and not trying to keep improving. But then how do you, um, I, I think an argument um, uh, I also use, uh, and I think many of us use, uh, many analysts use, is that if people don't trust the data, I'm not going to change anything. If, if all people do is ask me, okay, but your, your data is incomplete or uh, your data isn't, isn't completely accurate or, uh, or whatever, uh, then you also won't get your point across. If we go back and you look at an organization, then, then you will have like marketing have we been out doing a survey or asking people something. And the guy presenting that data, which is probably just as flawed as any analytics data you have, he will present that like this is a universal fact. It, it Sometimes it's just us as an analyst that has a tendency to to kind of start by excusing that this was gathered on a Tuesday, so we cannot generalize it across the entire world. And besides that, uh, uh, at this specific time, it was a holiday in Israel, so the, the data might not be completely precise. And just before you do that presentation, or just after you did that presentation, there's someone from the brand marketing team. Uh, exactly. <laughs> claiming all big things uh, based on a research uh, no one's ever seen uh, and no one will ever see. Uh, that's just based on, on 50 people in a certain city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a question he asked on Twitter. So yeah, I've done yeah. research and it shows. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, 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 so actually, because we can be precise, we undermine our own credibility because we know how precise it could be. So we focus on how much it could be and not how much it should be because how good data do you need to have to make a decision? So, so you kind of have a tendency to try to... Uh, hide behind perfect. I'm still trying to get perfect data, but there's this uh, uh, wonderful uh, Japanese term called wabi-sabi, um, which means that you accept that the world is imperfect and everything is, uh, is, uh, is going to be destroyed over time, right? So everything is, is, is breakable. So just accepting that, so you will get these beautiful like pottery shots where there's, they've been stitched together with golds, and and have that acceptance saying that it's never going to be perfect. You might have perfect data for a second, and then somebody is going to do something to to corrupt it. And I like this term because it's like it 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 tells that don't go for perfect. Go for what you can can have, and then build from there. Yesterday's brainstorm was so good. I really liked Steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons. Making them orange will really make them stand out, don't you think? Yeah, right. Do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift? Then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach. If you can read Dutch, follow the steps in online Influt, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. 
or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. We just spoke about um, um, internal communication, that we should be uh, uh, probably a bit better about that. Um, and in, in line with that, in communication, uh, I've seen, uh, I follow you on Twitter, uh, I've seen a lot of Clubhouse links <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, on, on, on your Twitter. So um, and I think uh, we're all exploring a bit what's, uh, what Clubhouse uh, is and what it can do for us. For people that haven't used Clubhouse yet, what is Clubhouse? So Clubhouse is, uh, of course, another variation of a social media. It's an audio platform. So basically, it's like here a podcast, but it's not being recorded. Uh, so so you go in and you have a conversation. So uh, hopefully you invite some people who will be there. You set a topic. And basically, it's an open forum where you can have a conversation about a topic you, you like. Right. So I do a lot of talks on Clubhouse on analytics, but I think that the, what I like, it's very, they, there's a good energy and it's a good conversation. It's not requiring a lot of preparation. And if you get to do the right sessions, you, you really, you really get to take some stuff away. So, and then I think that is, it's kind of like a, a soft podcast, right? Because it's just a conversation. You can't share links. You can't share images. You can only share your words. Now, I saw one actually using her image, which is the only thing that you can, you can put things in your profile or you can change your image. And she actually used her image to share graphs and screen dumps. It was a, <laughs> quite <Nice>. original. <laughs> so, um, but cool. but cool. I hadn't yeah. seen that coming. I think that was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, you, can, you can't even send a DM or something. Yeah. No, 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 no. So, so and uh, well, you, the only time you can message people is is when you invite them or when you uh, uh, push for now you're going to do a session. And if you're in a session, you can actually try to bring in more people to the session by by nudging them so that you can invite them. But it, it's not the core yeah. thing, right? So so uh, the key thing is the conversation. And it, it has been crazy in the sense that uh, it, uh, there has been a lot of celebrities on there. Elon Musk was on and he actually broke it because there were so many people wanting to be in the room and hearing what he had to say uh and as but but and there's rooms that has been going on for so you had like one moderator start the room and then after a while he left but the conversation continued so like i think i think 72 hours for the same room different people talking about the same subject over time just changing the the, the crowd in there so it's all about the conversation and and I think it's it's good in the sense that everybody can speak up. So so uh, everybody can raise their hands and be brought to stage. So it's very much about the room. There are some mega rooms where you have like a couple of thousand people listening in. And I don't really, well, for me, that's not Clubhouse. For me, Clubhouse is the intimate conversation where everybody can get heard and, and everybody can share. And that's part yeah. of a, my thoughts on, on community sharing. And uh, so did you start your own group, your own uh, uh, club on there, or are you continuously joining other uh, other clubs and talk about analytics? No, no. I, uh, so so um, uh, it, it wasn't until Saturday here on the what, uh, March the 6th or something that, that Clubhouse actually opened up for other people to start clubs. So until then, there was a yeah. wait list. But now they, they said, if you're active, you can start two clubs a month. So I started a club uh, on Saturday called Data Driven People. 
So it's still uh, yep. uh, in, in its infancy, but but the idea is is trying to uh, build the conversation. And I think that so 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 far we have like I think forty f- members or something, uh, but but going international. So so having these uh, nerds that loves to talk about data and how to use it, how to drive things with data. So we'll we'll add a link. We add a link to the to your clubhouse uh, club in the in the comments for people yeah, that, would that be awesome. one have clubhouse and two. Uh, yeah, have an iPhone. <laughs> that, that's uh, that's a combination that uh, that you need to have right now. But you can also join on an iPad. So that's kind of a, a thing that yep. most people uh, tend to overlook. And I think these days there's a lot of uh, redundant iPads lying in in people's drawers and attic because their kids no longer use them. So, <laughs> and Clubhouse is not a demanding piece of software, right? It's just a, it, it basically just a chat software. So yep. so in that sense. There is a, the, the main thing and the challenge with Clubhouse right now is actually on privacy because, and, and if you're into privacy, then Clubhouse uh, is something you should be wary of uh, because they, they are based in the US and they record the conversation. The first thing they do where to enter, you have to give them access to your phone book so they know who you know. Yeah. But so technically Clubhouse has a copy of your, of your phone book, but I don't think so if you... Uh, leave clubhouse then they will keep your phone book so so yeah. there are a couple of things and that that is in in you know, on the dark side uh, yeah. but but i, I think, think they're uh, working on getting LinkedIn, it in order linkedin yeah. facebook and uh, whatsapp did similar things right yeah in the beginning yeah yeah in the beginning yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so and i think those, just uh, uh, clubhouse apps, uh, growth hack their way to uh, yeah to success because yeah. if if you had to go in there and you had to enter all the contacts you might want to have there then then it would be really slow, right? This is the the lazy man solution. We'll compromise a bit of uh, yeah. of uh, of uh, personal security, and if we have people in our phone book, we should probably delete them for the occasion, uh, yeah. or hide them and just be wary, saying that uh, shouldn't have uh, referral information to our bank account or whatever we might have in there. Like I know people who use their phone book to save copies of their. Uh, password for their credit card which is suboptimal right but with that said i think uh, i really think that uh, clubhouse is a good platform i know that twitter is also pushing something similar how, how do you think this is going to how how this platform is uh, uh works for you as a as an um, well you always uh, were on stage a lot and uh, at conferences a lot is this like a, a corona replacement for going to conferences in some sense, I think, uh, but but it's actually more on the networking side that it's on the presentation side. I can see that I, 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 I go there and do presentations, but I will never do something on my own, just trying to do one hour of stand-up presentation or anything. It will always be around the conversation, and and in that sense, it's much more including, right? It's much more like a a measure camp yep. or a DA hub where you have the conversation around it. Uh, more than just being a one-way presentation. If I want to do a one-way yeah. presentation, I'll do a, a webcast. Um, so, so this is more like an awesome, awesome platform for Q and A's uh, and dialogue. The ask, it's the ask me anything of the world that that can yeah. take place there, right? We even try to run a concept now called ask anyone anything. So you can actually, if you come to a room, ask somebody else something from from the same room. So from that perspective, I think that it's yeah. really interesting as our platform. 
Yeah, but I, I, can, I still can imagine that it can be quite daunting for someone that's not necessarily um, uh, extroverted and wants to be on stage or, or put on stage. Well, you're not physically on the stage, but in, in clubhouse terms, to put on the stage and ask ask someone, someone. You, you cannot just send some some uh, anonymous chat <laughs> no, no, to no, the room yeah. for people to answer. You have to be uh, vocal about it, literally. Yeah, you have to speak up. Yeah, but and, but if you don't want that, you can always li- sit down and listen to it. Exactly. So so and and you do have the thing. So so even if you stand up, it's just your voice. It's not your face. You're not on camera when when you ask the question, right? Yeah. So so it's just your icon that will be blinking. Uh, so you 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 can actually exactly. also people use another icon than than your face. Yeah. People won't know see yeah. your face. So you can. Be scared shitless and still ask good questions. Yeah, exactly. And if people don't get the question, then they'll try to uh, specify it. Exactly. And you can help them uh, with that, of course, if you ask the question and uh, make it make it as relevant for you as, uh, as possible. Another mm-hmm. thing I want to uh, talk to you uh, about a bit. So at, uh, at Emer's uh, Google Analytics User Conference, you spoke about, uh, or at least the, data, the, the title of your session was Data Activation and uh, Supercharging the, the Consumer Journey with Analyst Data. Um, and one thing um, uh, in there you said is that the higher speed of data facilitates uh, a change of focus from being very reactive, like like we just spoke about sending mm-hmm. those reports every three months, <laughs> yeah. uh, saying, and then my, then my job is done, to being way more uh, uh, complex and actually live, doing live optimization and personalization uh, across channels. So what's your take on that? Yeah, so, so I think we are seeing a major shift in the market right now that we're going from reactive optimization to, to, to proactive uh, personalization. So, so yeah. it's actually one of the places where I see a huge value in, in, in the learnings we have from A-B tests. And one of the places that, I, that I've seen is that we have had a tendency so far to discard the losing version. But, but in reality, the losing version will actually, in many cases, be a preferable version for some people. So you will actually could have a sub-segment that preferred the version that is being thrown away. So, so with the new speed of data, we can actually go in and we can not just show the winning version to everybody. We can actually go and show the losing version to the segment for whom it was the winning, winning version. So, so it's no longer we're moving away from one size fits all because this, the site can actually respond to be your behavior. And I think that is one of the big things that is happening right now. The, the sites are being changed from being something static to being something living that will respond to you. Will this work? Hmm, maybe not. Isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? With VWO, create an A-B test different variations of your website to continuously discover the best performing versions that improve conversions. Stop guessing. Start A-B testing with VWO today. And what do you think is is going to drive this change? Because I I think we're we're talking about personalization for the past uh, at least five years. Seriously, that this is the year of personalization. Personalization. Uh, no. So, what are the technological uh, changes that you see that that uh, will actually enable us to to hopefully finally or companies to finally invest in this and and, and do actually do it? Yes. Yeah, so, so for for me, it's very much like I talked about the speed of data, right? So now you can actually, when you come to my website, I can in eight in what was it, 
in, in less than yeah, uh, an eighth of a second have some uh, variation back at you that is matching your user profile. So I can send a message to, to, to BigQuery. BigQuery can analyze your behavior and send, send your preferences back. And then your, the site will start to adapt to you instead of just adapting to something general. So, so that speed is actually where I see that that, that is going to be driving a lot of change. Um, but it's also going to hopefully be driving a lot more testing. Because what, what, we need, what we need is more variations in relations to how we should proceed. So, so it, it's a perfect time to start doing testing, but instead of throwing tests away, then saving them and, and actually adding the information to, to the data. But it's a speed. Basically, the technologies have come so far that it's becoming a, a prerequisite that we do more yeah. with it. Yeah. At the same time, uh, it's also about the cost of marketing. Because right now, with the, the cost of marketing have increased to a level that we need to get more out of our marketing uh, bucks. So, so we, we are basically forced to, to either start improving our conversion rate even more, and we can only do that by focusing on the segments and not generalizing the conversion rate. So instead of saying, yeah, I have a conversion rate of 3%, well, technically, I can break it down and say, yeah, I have a conversion rate of 8% for this segment and 1% for this segment and 6% here. So I need to really focus on the 1%. How can I improve the conversion rate for them? So, so like everything else, the conversion rate is going to be segmented or broken down into two individual segments because then we can start micro-optimizing for, 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 for the individuals instead. And having yeah. that process automated, that that will help a lot. Yeah, I guess it's a so it's, it's a good thing for for zero people that marketing uh, is finally becoming so expensive that people the companies are <laughs> yeah <laughs> into into zero more and more and yeah. actually optimizing the website instead of just throwing more people uh, on, on the website. Exactly. Um, so 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 that that's actually one of the things uh, because the, the only alternative they have is is what we also see as a trend right now is an increased focus on customer lifetime value that you have to get them back right so yeah. so it's not just selling once so it's optimize all <laughs> and, and and lifetime so so having yeah. this split in relation to things is is really uh, uh, where we see the big the big changes coming right now do you see a big role for for Google Analytics four in that uh, in that sense in the speed of data? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I think uh, there's a so so for instance in Google Analytics four, if you look at the Firebase site, there is a actually a built-in A/B testing tool, so you can technically use it for targeting as well. So based on you know, behavior in the system, you can change things. You can uh, if you extend, uh, you can uh, take the conversions in in Google Analytics four and actually use them as uh, conversion points. Uh, well, you can use the conversion points for activation to, with cloud functions through BigQuery. So you can actually say, if somebody converts to something or does a specific action, then I will send them a mail or I will do this or I will add them to this segment or I will include them. I will have my marketing automation tool paste them here. Yep. So suddenly, everything gets tied much closer together. And and. And I think people are underestimating the change that is coming with Google Analytics 4 if they want to use it uh, fully. It is really interesting. I know you had the pleasure of hearing all the sessions 
uh, at Emers. So I think, no, you know that the level of nerdiness that's possible to go to with these things yeah. is incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that uh, I think my main takeaways uh, from that event uh, were that uh, Google Analytics for basically, if if you're if you're not using the dashboarding interface, then uh, it's basically ready, just as ready as uh, uh, Universal or Google Analytics three uh, was. If you if you're if you're going to use BigQuery anyway, then you mm-hmm. might as well right away make the switch and 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 use it um, because that part is uh, is basically uh, as as ready as it's uh, as it's going to be. Uh, yeah, if if you heavily rely on the dashboarding, then uh, Google Analytics, you might you might need to stick with uh, Universal for for a bit. Yeah. And I think, well, my biggest learning from the day was uh, I think uh, the reason why Google actually started uh, building uh, uh, Google Analytics uh, four, and and they told they told us uh, that they were basically looking at how much data, how much power. Uh, how much warehouse power and, and and footprint they needed to support <laughs> to support Google Analytics uh, mm. to, to support Universal? They said, "Well, we cannot, we can't keep this up." Uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of websites obviously run uh, analytics, or a lot of data, a lot of uh, bandwidth goes into that. So we make to in in order to be able to uh, to reach our our um, uh, green objectives or our environmental objectives we need to change <laughs> we need mm. to change uh, google analytics it had nothing to do with with the data structure or the, <laughs> the, the, no, the no, setup no. there uh, of course that that resulted from that thought it was a, a fun learning of that day but it, there's also and this is uh, how we say the conspiracy theory right so so this yeah. is saying okay <laughs> so so why did google do it they, well one of the things that they have that that it does it actually uh, if you're using the big uh, query site, then suddenly you become part of uh, Google Cloud. So, yep. and to be part of Google Cloud, you have to give you your to credit card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, yep. and suddenly, uh, suddenly, you can say all those it, free users of Google Google Universal uh, become uh, paid users. Yeah, exactly. But only well, once you hit a, a certain amount, I think that they, they will. It's always going to be free to a certain level, right? But right now, one of the biggest hurdles Google has is all the bastards who do not comply and only gather 10 million hits a month, right? Yeah. Uh, but now we're with uh, if they can get these guys to 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 BigQuery, then it's fine. Then they say, yeah, the first 10 million are free. But hey, I'm sorry, Guido, you had 50 million this month. Don't worry about it. We sent you a bill. Oh no, we didn't. We already pulled it off your credit card. So don't worry. Keep them coming. <laughs> it's like, don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. You're already built. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. You already built. You, yeah. You, you don't have to worry. There's a bill coming. You already paid. Uh, yeah. So 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 for them that simplifies their business model, and at the same time it opens up for because all the other functions you get with cloud like cloud functions, like uh, the A-B testing things, like you can use authentication. It all has a itty bitty teeny uh, price tag, right? Yeah. So so suddenly by extending uh, Google Analytics in this direction towards cloud, first off, they get more users on cloud, making them more competitive compared to uh, Azure and AWS and uh, all the other guys out there. And at the same time, they get a itty bitty stream of cash coming in that hopefully will grow as they expand this offering. And in the end, it, pro- it probably won't make them uh, any greener, but um, uh, it, it, that's a nice marketing talk, but at least they're making money out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so we, what was the thing? It, it might make their, uh, yeah, what's the green dollars, right? 
Yeah, it'll make them greener in in dollars. Uh, Yeah, but but the other story is nicer. And then this is just uh, speculations. But I think it, from a business perspective, it makes sense. So, exactly. What what do you think are the main challenges for for uh, people in zero or or companies in general to to make the switch for to uh, to Google Analytics for? I think it's actually understanding the change. I think you know this uh, that people underestimate what it is they're supposed to do because the last seven times there's been an upgrade to Google Analytics, it meant that I had to go and change a script and then it was basically, what's it, SSTD, same shit, different day. Uh, uh, so, 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 but, but now it's actually something completely different that, that you actually have to flip the thinking. And, 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 and for me, I think we, we just, uh, we're finalizing a project with a customer where we, they're they're building a new website and in the transition they want to do a transition to GA4 at the same time. So what we actually did was we went in before any design and before anything and we looked at their business and decided what was the KPIs for the business and what was this new site going to be measured on. And then that was part of the briefing to the design agency. So we actually reversed the entire process. It wasn't like, yeah, and then we have to fold the site to match these objectives as worst. We actually set the objective first and then told the agency, this is what, you, what your ability to deliver on this is what you're going to be measured on. So that, that was kind of uh, crow first, uh, which yeah. is really interesting, or data first, uh, because you need to have this thinking and also a focus on what, what data do we need. It's really easy to set something up in, in GA4 where you really fast go in and have too much data. So so Google, you can make Google mighty rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and your credit card maxed out. Yeah, uh, exactly. What, what, are, what are those uh, changes in thinking that you're talking about? What, what, what changes do people need to make uh, when approaching uh, Google Analytics 4? Yeah, so, so they need to do the episode. So, Basically, they need to, with Google Analytics, traditionally, that you've just been able to implement the, the, the tool and just set it up, and then it would be gathering stuff from the beginning. But here now, you need to actually say, what do I want to track? There's not, well, it's minimal what you get out of, the, out of the box. So what events are important for me to track on my site or across my site and across everything I can track? And then build your, your, your data strategy and your, 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 your data on that. Right, and at the same time, you get the ability to actually engage with a lot of other stuff uh, outside of Google Analytics and f- firing data in a lot of different directions and pulling data yep. from other places as well. So, so this combination of of much more targeted analytics, it it's basically well, it's the different from from uh, Adobe Analytics and Google Analytics, what it's been today. So, so, uh, and and people who have done a Google Anal- Adobe Analytics setup knows that it's a lot more complex because it's a Formula One car that is being built for the specific track it's going to run on. And Google Analytics that we're used to is like a a good good standard car coming being driven out of the factory. Yeah, we can pimp it a bit and we can put in a more powerful engine and we can do stuff, but it's 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 been kind of given, right? So the difference between those two, the Formula One car and the standard car, that is where we are today. So do you think this is um, um, this kind of drives us to all be more professional about it, or will will you do you expect a lot of people to drop off because it becomes much more difficult? No, I, uh, I think that is Google's concern. 
that a lot more people will drop off. So I'm pretty sure that we'll see some, some uh, like uh, three clicks and you have an installation. So, so a lot of prefab installations uh, that will be like a, like a middleware, right? Where we go in and say, yeah, this is an e-commerce site. I also want to retain customers. I also want to do this. And then Google will have a one, two, three. This is the setup you need. So, so you get something that is like yeah, templates. Templates, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, a templated setup will never be able to outcompete a a custom setup, right? So, so, uh, and I think that is where the nerds will deliver a competitive advantage that you're actually able to go closer to the business and type, yeah, much closer to home when it comes to the result and what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. What are you looking for um, um, besides GA4? What are you looking for uh, to work on the next, um, say, the next year? For us, what we see, uh, we, see uh, we, we see a problem in uh, data loss right now. With cookie compliance going on, we, we see the average site, if you are compliant, you, in average, you're losing between 20 and 60% of your Google Analytics data. And the main problem has been that with the increase in online traffic due to Corona, this number has basically been hit from most people because they have been seeing their numbers go up. Yeah. So, so what they haven't seen is that they, they made, numbers have basically been undermined because they suddenly, uh, they're compliant and they're losing data. So, so we've been working a lot with, with our customers on, how can you say, uh, recapturing lost data or making sure that they're no longer losing data. And then and, and the challenge here is saying that to do that, we need to do it in a way that is still compliant. So it's with the GTM server side, which is one of the new things again, uh, it would be easy to cheat. But the problem is if you cheat, then uh, you risk the fines and you risk uh, everything. So, so working on a solution that is actually... Uh, Say compliant in spirit and in in the intent of the law, so so uh, so that it's long term, right? So so not just having something that is a quick fix because I think quick fixes are the reasons why we are where we are today. So what we've done is we basically set up so if somebody comes to a website, they will and they they decline consent, they will not be removed from the tracking. They will simply be run through an anonymization engine. So all the things that potentially could be used to identify them at a later level is removed. And any uh, chance of cookies and stuff are being removed, but you remain, you keep the session. So you, 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 you are still able to see all your users and what they did. Now you just have two different data sets. You have your general users and you have your anonymized users. And then what we see is that, that, that for the anonymized users, but technically, what, what you can do is you can start trying to find ways to get them to connect, to actually give consent after the fact, because you give them something of added value if they can do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so, so suddenly you have a, a different crow track that is saying, I have these anonymized users, and the objective here is to get the consent. So I can move them from anonymized, and yeah, then I can then start building some data about them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, nice. so having that built uh, is really interesting, and we've seen some some good numbers already on it. And people are really surprised in general by how much data they've lost. Yeah, and it's crazy because by losing this data, you lose the actually the ability to um, 
to have transparency in your marketing. If you buy a, if you buy a hundred people coming in from AdWords, but you can only see what what sixty of them did, then it's real difficult for you to to determine your return on AdWords. Yeah. So that yep. is the complexity of where we see things going right now. Stain, thank you so much for uh, for joining me uh, for an episode. Uh, my final question for you: um, Who should I invite for an upcoming Sirocfe episode? Yeah. So, so um, what's the person you'd like to hear yourself? Yeah. So, so I would like to hear, and it, it's kind of an overlap, but it's uh, uh, Juliana Jackson. The also go on, so yep. you can find her on LinkedIn. The the CLV lady. She's yep. very outspoken and from OmniConvert. Yeah, exactly. Yes, and she has some strong opinions in relations to. Uh, Crow and crow tactics in 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 correlations with uh, with with uh, customer lifetime value. So I think that that is a, a good uh, would be an interesting area to explore. Saying crow versus CLV, uh, the two triple letter abbreviations uh, against each other. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know uh, Juliana, and uh, but she hasn't been on the show yet, so uh, definitely uh, uh, need to get her on uh, sometimes if she has time. Okay. Yeah. That'll be, yeah. I hope cool. she does. Thanks. So. I hope she does too. I'll, uh, I'll uh, send her a message uh, right after and uh, try to uh, get her uh, for an episode. And uh, yeah, Stain, thank you so much. Uh, great talking to you again, and I hope to talk to you soon. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye. And this concludes Season 3, Episode 15 of the Zero Cafe Podcast with Steen Rasmussen. Make sure to check out the show notes on the Zero Cafe website for links to some additional information on today's topic. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Alexander Ivanyuk. He's a senior software engineer at LinkedIn and tech lead of their experimentation platform team. And that's also what we're going to talk about, experimentation at LinkedIn. Talk to you then, and always be optimizing.